Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. It's so wonderful to welcome you to The Gathering Room today. We have with you someone who's been a big part of my life since a moment in South Africa where a doctor handed me a book and said, read this. And I read it and could talk about nothing else for weeks. Um, the, the author of that book, Anita Morjani, wrote about her experience of literally dying from cancer. She was in her final coma, had a near-death experience, came back and within just a few weeks was completely cancer-free and has gone on to live this amazing life of comfort and inspiration to so many of us. Her new book, I don't have a copy of it. I've listened to it like eight times on Audible, but this is what it looks like and you should go buy it right now. It's called Sensitive is the New Strong, The Power of Empaths in an Increasingly Harsh World. And it has it has gotten me through the night several times since I purchased it. And I think it'll help a lot of us here because there are a lot of empaths on this line. So if we can welcome Anita in, please. Oh, Hello. Hi, Martha. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And thank you for that beautiful introduction. I was very touched to hear it. It's so wonderful to see you again. The two of us met in physically in Sedona. And I wrote about you in my last book, um, The Wave of Integrity, I forget. Um, but I wrote about how we were in that room interviewing. I was interviewing you and the Javelinas came to the door. Do you remember that? Yes, that was funny. That was great. I know. Yeah. So it really happened, you guys, and, and the magic of Anita Morjani was a big part of that. So I really want to talk about your book. Your near-death experience is incredible, and I hope everyone's already heard about it. But you have addressed this new book specifically to a group of people you call empaths. So the first thing I'd love to hear is how you specifically define that word. What is an empath? Because I think a lot of us are on the line. <laughs> yes, so um, I started to realize over the years that I started to learn about it myself, like in just in the last few years, four or five years. And I started to realize that the people who resonated most with my work, my books, my speeches, my events, most of the people that attended and followed me were in fact empaths. And that's why um, I started to study more about that. And that's why I wrote the book specifically for empaths. So here's the way I look at it. I see sensitivity as a spectrum where people have levels of sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So you have one end of the spectrum where you have people that have no sensitivity. And thankfully, I think very, very, very few people fall at that end of the wow. spectrum. Um, and then most people are somewhere around the middle, you know, what we call average sensitivity. And like everything, you know, there's always this bell curve where most people are around the middle, but then at the other end of the spectrum, you have people that are extremely sensitive, highly sensitive. And at the top end, um, we have what we would call empaths. Now, a couple of people that helped me understand more about empaths were, the works of Dr. Judith Orlov and, uh, and Dr. Elaine Aaron, they kind of put the word empath on the map. And I had been wondering why, as I was out there sharing my story of my near-death experience and sharing it with the world and believing that surely people want to hear this, surely they would want to hear how the cancer healed so that they can use it in their own lives and other sick people can heal. But I found that 
um, a lot of people in the world were not ready to hear that, but it was also wearing me down. I started to get burned out. I started to notice that I was taking on other people's energies and I didn't understand why. I couldn't differentiate my own energy and my own feeling with other people. Mm. And I started to become aligned with people who were debunkers and naysayers. And I would feel in my own body, I would feel drained. And so, and so when somebody said to me, maybe you're an empath, that's when I started to look it up. And I realized, oh, wow, I relate to this. Mm. So an empath is someone at that extreme end of the scale, you know, which is the opposite of no sensitivity. So you go beyond having high sensitivity. So highly sensitive people are people who are aware of what everyone around them is feeling. So someone who has no sensitivity uh, is not aware of how people around them are feeling. They're only aware of how they feel. Mm. So we tend to call them narcissists. It's all about me, me, me. I don't care about what's in it for you. I only care about what's in it for me. Then you have all the, most people fall into the regular, you know, the mid, and then the people that are highly sensitive are the people like, um, they neglect themselves and it's all about you. It's all about serving you and serving everyone to the point that they become tired. Empaths are one step further where when they are around people who are suffering, who are struggling, um, who are traumatized, they actually feel it in their own body and they cannot separate their own feelings mm. from the pain and the hurt of the people around them. So if you look at all the everything that's been happening in the world, like over the last year and a half, all the fear yeah. and all the breaking news and all empaths literally feel that in their body. They feel the fear that's happening around the world. They feel the trauma of everyone else. So that's how I would define it. Yeah. And there's a great quiz. I love a quiz. I hate writing them, but I love taking them. That in the book that will you know, so show you where you um, land on that scale of sensitive to empath. Um, I think pro probably everyone here is highly sensitive. So I, you know, the fact that naysayers came at you for that beautiful book you wrote, which is so validated by all your doctor's reports and everything. As you're saying that, I think, oh my God, how, if something is directed right at you, I mean, it's hard enough for an empath to avoid the feelings of someone who's just on the bus with you, right? Yes. But if someone is bringing that type of negativity and it's focused on you and it's targeted at you, um, I've had that happen to me and it's like being physically beaten. And I really want to hear how you coped with that and what are some methods that we can use to keep ourselves from being battered by this type of energy? So um, there are many ways to, um, many tools that we can use. And so first of all, um, we have to realize that as an empath, and even if you're just a highly sensitive person, even if you're not a full-blown empath, and again, the difference is an empath feels the energy of other people, a highly sensitive person is still sensitive, is still impacted by things that are said to them. Um, so what I wanted to say is that things like um, what other people are saying, criticisms feel very loud. So you could have 
99 positive comments on your social mm -hmm. media and one negative one. And if you're highly sensitive, that negative one will be louder than the 99 positive ones combined. So the first thing is to be aware that you have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency to blow things that are painful, that are hurtful. Uh, we have a tendency to blow that up or out of, uh, you know, out of proportion because those things feel louder in our energy field. Yeah. Um, so we have to be aware that we have a tendency to do that. And one of the things that I learned, one of the tools I learned is, so at first, the reason I used to get burned out is because the negative comments were louder. So you, there would always be, you always have that one person, even if it's one out of 300 or 500, yeah. who says, oh, what you're saying is woo woo, or, or there'll be someone who says, you know, because I'm teaching people that you have to love and value yourself. That's what I discovered when I was on the other side. And I realized, that um, I didn't realize that I mattered and that I had a purpose and that's why I got cancer. And so you'd always have this one person that'll say, oh, so are you saying that my so-and-so who has cancer does, doesn't love themselves and all they have to do is love themselves? That's ridiculous yeah. or something like that. You know, yeah. you'd always have one person saying that. And are you saying that my so-and-so who died from cancer did that just because they didn't love themselves? And um, and so I would always have to be really clear and say, I'm just sharing my experience. And if it works for you, um, take it on. If it doesn't, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. So I would kind of cater my language as well. So it teaches you to cater your language because right. one of the things that sensitive and empaths tend to do is we tend to speak in a way that avoids criticism because we we are so sensitive to criticism. Mm. But here's what I realized is that as I tailored my story and my language to cater to the critics, I started to attract more critics. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I just wanted to throw that in there, which was so interesting for me because I realized that I was going out of my way to win the critics over. Wow. And sensitive people and empaths have this tendency to do that. Hmm. So I would cater my story around talking about the proof, talking about the medical records, talking about that, thinking that this will ward off the critics. And instead it's like, oh, um, I you attract people who are non-believers where their friends are saying, hey, you need to listen to this. She's right. got proof. And they are the kind of people that will poke holes at anything. So mm -hmm. because you're trying to win the, over the critics, you're just going to attract more and more of them. And I was like, what's going on? Why are people still criticizing me? I'm yeah. giving them everything you know that they want. And that's when one day um, I just had this epitome like, oh, of course. I'm playing to the critics. I'm pandering to the critics. I'm focusing on the critics. That's why I'm attracting more of them. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, your subtitle is the power of empaths in an increasingly harsh world. And what, what you're saying right now makes me think, wow, your sensitivity and your extraordinary level of, of spirit 
you know, you were terrified of getting cancer and you got cancer, then you're terrified of critics and you bring criticism. I mean, it, it, I don't want to say to anyone what you fear will come to you because I don't think it's, that's not your message either. And I don't think that's true, but you have so much power, like, because you're kind and soft and gentle, you don't use it as power to manipulate people. But as you've loved yourself, have you found that you are beginning to feel the power of that gift that you've been given? Yes. So, so what I want people to know is that you do have a tremendous amount of power. You actually have the power to attract the critics as well as the power to attract the people who resonate with your message. Once I realized what was going on, I was like, oh, wow, I get it. So what I had to do is I actually had to now focus on the people who resonated with my message. And this is the hard part. But if you can do this, this is where the shift really happens. And this is the magical point. And it really is about reading the the comments of the people who say, oh my God, Anita, I love your message. In your case, oh my God, Martha, I love your message. Can you please tell me more? Hmm. And catering and pandering to those people that want to go deeper, uh -huh. even if you know the critics are not going to like what you say, uh -huh. even if you know the critics are gonna say, oh, this is woo woo, oh, you were probably misdiagnosed, or, or I don't think you went to the other side, that was probably the drugs talking. Even if in your head you are hearing those messages, ignore them mm. and listen to the messages of the people who are saying, oh my gosh, Anita, what you're saying is helping me so much. Can you tell me more? I'm dealing with cancer right now. Can you please tell me more? Listen to those messages, the people who want more. And as you start to do that more and more, that audience gets bigger and bigger and mm -hmm. bigger. And then what happens is the critics and the naysayers, they start to fall away, but hmm. there will be a few of them who will be like, oh my gosh, I think she's onto something. <laughs> I think I'm gonna try it. That's the trick. Focus wow. on the people who love you and love your message and speak to them and speak your truth without filtering it for the critics and the naysayers. That's what you have to do. That is brilliant. And it's as you're saying it, I this is something that happens to me a lot. I do this every week, every Sunday when I can. And I can feel the level of energy in the audience rising or falling. And as you're talking, I, I feel so much energy just pouring into me, pouring into the group. I hope you all can feel it out there because to me it's tangible. And it, it, it takes me to the next question I had, which is this is through all your books. During your near-death experience, you learned that the absolute central point of your life should be self-love. And every week somebody comes um, here, you know, one person or another will say, I'm just having a difficult time. Like, I want to love myself, but I don't. I don't know how. So if, you, if somebody never had a grounding in, say, being lovingly parented, if they had a terrible childhood or got stuck in a war or something. How are you? I mean, I remember when I met you, you were so good at like walking me through the how of how to love oneself, how to be happy in a given moment was what you were teaching me. But this self-love piece, I really wanted to hear how you break that down 
for people who have trouble loving themselves? So there are a lot of things that people who have trouble loving themselves can do. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is people who don't love themselves, they are terrible at receiving, receiving anything, receiving compliments, receiving gifts, receiving love, receiving abundance from the universe, receiving messages. They mm. don't receive. They're really, really good at giving. They give and give and give of themselves, but they're terrible at receiving. So, so the number one thing is to be aware. So actually, even before that, the number one thing is to be aware that you do not love yourself. Hmm. And so, so it's an awareness that, oh, wow, I don't love myself and I need to love myself more. Be hmm. Because um, there are people who still feel loving yourself is selfish. So be aware that it's not selfish. It is absolutely not selfish, particularly if you are someone who is sensitive or an empath, please know that the world needs you. The world needs you more now than ever. And when you don't love yourself, it means you don't take care of yourself. It means you don't allow the spirit of God or source to come through you when you don't love yourself. It means you suppress yourself. The world needs you right now because what does it mean to be a sensitive or empath? It means you're someone who serves other people naturally. You are someone who is a healer, a teacher, a natural rescuer, a natural helper. That's what it means to be someone who's sensitive or an empath. You love helping people. You feel good when you're doing good for the world. So if you don't love yourself and you don't take care of yourself, you're going to allow things to happen to you. You're going to become depleted. Mm -hmm. I know that because that's what I did. That's what happened to me. Please know you're no good for the world when you don't love yourself mm -hmm. and you allow yourself to be depleted. So be aware that you are sensitive, you are a natural caregiver, helper, healer, teacher, rescuer. The world needs someone like you. So you need to value yourself. You need to take care of yourself. And so be aware you have this tendency that you're very good at giving and you don't, you're not good at receiving. So start by allowing yourself to receive. Allow yourself to um, receive by even giving yourself time or a gift every single day. It could be in the form of anything, like giving yourself time to soak in a relaxing tub or going for a walk or sitting and meditating or going out in nature, something that you always feel you don't have time to do. Yeah. Um, I want to tell you a little bit so people get an idea of what it's like when you don't love yourself. Mm. Um, when I was before the near-death experience, I was someone who was such a people pleaser and such a doormat that no matter how tired I was or how, how many problems I had or how depleted I was, if somebody came to me with a problem, I would be there. I would be mm -hmm. helping them. I would put my life aside for other people. And even when I was sick and people were helping me because I was sick, I would feel, oh my gosh, I don't want them to go out of their way. I don't want to inconvenience them. Mm. I was more concerned about other people, even when I was sick, even when I was really sick to the <laughs> point of dying. And so, you know, you can say that the cancer I had was a wake up call. It wasn't. Death was the wake up call. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want people to figure this out after they die. 
because most people will choose not to come back because it's so beautiful on the other side. Yes, I would rather you figure this out while you're still alive. And that's why I share what I share. And if I had known this earlier, not only would I not got sick, I would have realized much sooner. I would not have gone all the way to death. When I was on the other side, I asked this question, you know, of source, of energy, of the universe. I said, why did I have to have such a big message, such a big lesson of dying just to figure out I had to love myself? Right. And the answer that came was, you were getting a lot of wake up calls along the way, uh -huh. but you weren't listening. Like you still felt other people's problems were bigger than yours. And you had to worry about inconveniencing other people, even when you were too sick to take care of yourself, uh -huh. you still worried about other people. So it was you, you allowed it to get to this point before wow. you realized, Oh, my life matters. I matter. I need to take, I need to put myself first. It was you that chose to take it this far. Wow. Yeah. That is intense. So, and you're very humble always, but also, you know, the, the, the mag, the immense magnitude of your experience and the effect that you had on the world. And it was kind of magical. Like, um, Dr. Wayne Dyer came and found you and invited you to write a book after he heard about your experiences. Am I getting that right? Yes, you are. You're absolutely getting that so right. It's not like you went out and tried to publicize it. And no. You. In fact, it was the opposite. Because I was so sensitive to the naysayers, um, I, uh, so I was, I was kind of pulled in two directions. One was when I was on the other side, um, I learned that I had to come back, that, uh, that I needed to come back because I had a purpose right. to complete yeah. and my purpose wasn't filled, fulfilled yet. Yeah. I didn't know on the other side what my purpose was. Hmm. Um, and it was only after I came back that, um, you know, I had to figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And, and I had to figure out how to integrate this experience into my life. And so I just started writing and writing and writing about it. And a couple of people, so I was living in Hong Kong at the time, and a couple of people, like a, a newspaper journalists, had heard about what happened to me, and they interviewed me in the wow. local newspaper. And so I thought, oh, I, I want to share this story. I want to shout it out from the rooftops mm -hmm. because I thought it would help people. I thought, who wouldn't want to know? I actually thought that, um, that maybe I have found something that would help cure cancer, you know, because if people knew that when they diminish their light and their inner light, it makes them so small and suppressed that it allows disease to come into their body. And so I understood, like I was a thousand and ten percent sure I understood why I got the illness. Right. So I thought people would be interested to know. I didn't realize that it would attract as many naysayers as I, as I mentioned to you. Yeah. And so it made me stop sharing. I completely thought, I don't want to share this anymore. And yet I was torn. There was a part of me that felt my purpose was to share the story. So mm -hmm. what I did was I shared it on an internet site that was about near-death experiences. I didn't put my full name on it. It was just called Anita M's NDE, which is, stands for near-death experience. Right. And then 
I felt, okay, I've set it free. It's mm -hmm. on the internet. Anybody who wants to know about it will know. And literally I put all the details of the self-love, of the person I was before, of how fast I healed. If you printed it out, it would be like 20 pages of just single line spacing, letter size wow. paper. That's how long it was. And, and they put it on the homepage of their site. And, and uh, the owner of the site said, wow, this is remarkable. We're putting it on our homepage. And I thought, I've done it. I've fulfilled my purpose. I've set my story free. Now I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to do anything. Anyone who's meant to read it will, will hear it or read it. Well, what happened is that somebody sent a link to it to Wayne Dyer. Mm -hmm. And when he read it, he said, he contacted Hay House and said, please track this woman down. She's somewhere in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. I need you to track this woman down. And I need you to invite her to write a book, which I will help her promote. So that's kind of wow. what happened. Wow. Talk about your mission going out into the world. And now it's millions and millions. As I said, I was in South Africa, like out in the bush in the middle of nowhere. And this doctor hands me your book. Uh, it's gone everywhere. And I wanted to ask as we get toward the, the end of our little broadcast here, you know, you do talk about how the world is getting increasingly harsh and even even by the standards of the news when I was growing up, things are so much worse. Like, even if you try not to pay attention to the negatives, there's there's a lot going on, right? And it is getting increasingly harsh. Do you feel, I feel that your mission was fit to this time? And I was, I wanted to ask you, you're reaching out to other empaths with this book and trying to strengthen and, and heal them. Do you feel that there is a rise in the mission, the positive missions of, of people similar to yourself that is it matches the darkness of the time. Does that feel like a historical moment to you? Um, yes, it, it does. I feel that um, empaths uh, have a purpose during this time. I do feel there are more and more um, coming to the surface. I feel that even yeah. the term is gaining popularity for a reason because it matches with this current time we're in. Um, we are going through a very interesting time where even before COVID, I feel that um, where we were was absolutely not sustainable. Yeah. When you think about, like, think about the the biggest countries in the world, the biggest global leaders, the, the biggest powerhouses of this world, even before COVID, what were all the leaders doing of the biggest nations, of whether it was China, America, Russia, South, um, North Korea, what were they all doing? They were the biggest nations of the world and they were spending all their time, money and resources instead of healing the world and feeding people, they were just comparing the size of their nuclear weapons. Right. Just think of where the focus of the world was. Yeah. Um, and so we really should be using our resources to heal the world and to feed people. And I really do believe that if there were more empaths and sensitive people in positions of leadership, we would have a very different world. Yeah. But most empaths and sensitive people are even afraid to be out there, yeah. to be seen and to be heard. 
And I actually believe that even something like COVID, it kind of brought the world to its knees and, and it was like a reset button. Yeah. And we have the opportunity of going in a different direction. But in order to go in a different direction and not be at the brink of our own extinction, empaths need to stand up and they don't have to go and take become president or anything. I honestly, I mean, even I wouldn't want that role. Mm. <laughs> it's such a, yeah, because it's such a divisive world we live in right now. But at the very least, empaths need to realize that they matter. You yeah. matter. The world needs you now. Don't hide. Don't, um, you know, don't like you need to learn to love yourself at the very least. You need to expand your energy. You need to know there's a reason why you are intuitive, why you have this connection with the other side. You need to know how powerful you are. You are a sixth sensory being. The people who are living in, in fear and the, the loudest, most aggressive voices among us believe that this is a finite five sensory, um, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, five sensory, three-dimensional world. We are much more than that. And I want empaths to come into their power and realize that we can actually change the world, even if we do it from the quiet of our own home. Mm. We can actually shift the energy. That's what I talk about in my books, at my events, yeah. my videos, and so on. We and can change the energy. Yeah. And people can feel right here that you have changed the energy of this circle. And, you know, I call it the gathering room because I want people like you to, you know, and people who are, have humbler lives to get together and hear each other. And that's what you've done today. You've brought us into a higher frequency and gathered more people. And I really believe that you are one of those extraordinary lights on earth that is brightening up this dark time so that we can all come to where you are and learn to remember, don't focus on the critics, focus on the people who are receiving you with love. Go for that with all your might. Don't dim your light, give to yourself and receive it gladly so you can develop that self-love that will help us change and heal the whole world. So Anita, thank you a million trillion times for your life, for your writing and for your mission on this planet. I am so grateful that you are here. Wow. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do as well. Love you. See you around. You Bye. will. Lots of love. Lots of love. Bye. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. 
And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change.